Amen. And I wonder if we could turn uh, tonight to Luke's Gospel, chapter 23. We've been looking at the events leading up to uh, the crucifixion and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We uh, looked at um, the uh, events in the week that preceded uh, coming up to the cross, and we started out to look at the trial of the Lord Jesus Christ. But really, um, in order to do justice to that, we split it into three. We looked at the trial of before Caiaphas and the Jewish Sanhedrin, and then the last time we looked at the trial before Pilate. And tonight we're going to look at the trial before Herod. So Luke chapter 23, and beginning our reading at verse 1. And the whole multitude of them arose and led him unto Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ a king. And Pilate asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And he answered him and said, Thou sayest it. Then said Pilate to the chief priests and to the people, I find no fault in this man. And they were the more fierce, saying, He stirreth up the people, teaching throughout all Jewry, beginning from Galilee to this place. When Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked whether the man were a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he belonged unto Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, himself also was at Jerusalem at that time. And when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceeding glad, for he was desirous to see him of a long season, because he had heard many things of him, and he hoped to have seen some miracle done by him. Then he questioned with him in many words, but he answered him nothing. And the chief priests and scribes stood and vehemently accused him. And Herod with his men of war set him at naught and mocked him and arrayed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him again to Pilate. And the same day, Pilate and Herod were made friends together for before they were at enmity between themselves. Amen. We know the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his precious word to all of our hearts. We have been looking at these trials, and the last time, as I say, we looked at the trial before Pilate. And when we were looking at the trial before Pilate, we saw how very evident it was what the objective of the Jews was in bringing him to, uh, uh, to the Roman governor. We find that when Pilate pronounced the Lord Jesus innocent, it says in verse 5 that the Jews flew into a complete rage. It says, and they were the more fierce, saying, He stirreth up the people, teaching throughout all Jewry, beginning from Galilee to this place. And we uh, noticed that the Jews were intent. They didn't want the Lord Jesus to be set free. And they were intent on having him crucified. Now, we said that their method of uh, capital punishment was stoning. And we pointed out how that uh, many other times they had not, the, the Romans 
uh, had the, what was called the eustlari, which was the right to put to death, or the right of the sword, or the justice of the sword. And uh, the Jews, nominally or legally, didn't have the right to put someone to death. But we pointed out how that when it came to the death of Stephen in the book of Acts, not very long after this, they didn't seem to have any problem in putting someone to death. And we pointed out that they had tried to put the Lord Jesus to death on a number of occasions before. So really, uh, this uh, bringing him to the uh, Romans was with a purpose, and it was with a purpose of having him crucified. And why did they want him crucified? Because the, the Jews recognized the law of God in Deuteronomy chapter 21 and verse 23. He that is hanged is accursed of God. And they wanted the curse to be upon him. Not knowing, of course, that that was the prime purpose of God, that he was to bear our curse. He was to become a curse for us. That was part of the plan and purpose of God. But they thought that they were going to ruin his reputation and ruin, ruin his effectiveness by making him a curse, by putting him on the cross of Calvary. And we find that they uh, said uh, that throughout all Jewry, beginning at Galilee, he has perverted the nation. And then it says that when Pilate heard about Galilee, if you look at verses 6 and 7, when Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked him whether the man were a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he belonged under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who himself also was at Jerusalem at that time. So he had pronounced the Lord innocent. The Jews flew into a rage. He could see that a situation was developing, that these people were intent and absolutely raging about what was taking place. And so he wanted to get out of the situation. And when he heard about Galilee, he thought, well, I'll send him to Pilate. Now he sent, or to Herod. Now he sent him to Herod uh, for at least three reasons. The first, of course, was that the Jews here were in this rage. They, he wanted to, uh, in any way that he could, stem any problems with the Jews. But also he wanted to conciliate Herod. He wanted to give Herod his place. Herod was the, the ruler of Galilee. Herod was at Jerusalem at the time. And he wanted to show deference to Herod and to his place. Uh, there had been a rift between them. And he wanted in any way that he could to, uh, to heal that rift. But the third reason, of course, was to circumvent the responsibility of this troublesome case. He found himself on the horns of a dilemma. He felt that the Lord was innocent, and yet he was being pushed into the place where he had to put him to death. So he thought, well, if I can palm this off onto Herod, I will be doing myself a favor but, of course, none of those reasons were public, of course, but that is what we can see was, was taking place. He's doing this for political advantage and for political gain. But the Lord Jesus is sent off to Herod. Uh, Herod would have been at the Hashmonian uh, palace where he resided when he was in Jerusalem. That would have been uh, connecting onto the temple. And so the Lord Jesus was sent there to Herod. 
And we want to just look for a few minutes tonight at the trial of the Lord before Herod. And we want to think about some of the lessons that we can derive from that. And we want to just delve a little bit beneath the surface of what we read here in the Word of God. So there are just a number of things that I want us to think about as we uh, think about Herod here uh, before the Lord Jesus Christ, which is really the way that it was. And first of all, I want us to think about Herod and his vice. I want us to think about this man who is going to judge the Lord Jesus Christ. Here he is, uh, residing in the palace of the Hashmoneans, and here he is in all of his regal splendor. But I want us to think about what kind of man this is that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to stand before. Now think about his background. And really, his background goes back to Esau. We were thinking about Jacob and Esau on the Lord's day. Now Herod was an Idumean or an Edomite, uh, which means that he was from the lineage of Esau. Uh, and Herod, like Esau, was going to despise his birthright. The birthright, as we saw on the Lord's day, was to be in the line of the Messiah. Now the Messiah is going to stand before Herod, and Herod is going to reject the Messiah, just like his forefather did. And that's interesting. You can see history and prophecy being uh, played out. But the Herod here in this portion of Scripture is Herod Antipas. You need to remember that there are a number of Herods in the Bible. His father was Herod the Great. Herod the Great was the one that put the babies to death. You remember when the Lord Jesus was born and when uh, the wise men came to Herod? That was Herod the Great. This is the father of this man. Uh, Herod the Great was a, a man of great power, a really cruel kind of a man. He uh, was a, a man who uh, wanted to guard his kingdom, and really that's why he wanted to put the Lord Jesus to death. He didn't want to, there to be another king. But Herod um, died about 4 BC, um, before Christ. That's why we say that uh, the um, Lord Jesus was uh, born <laughs> Uh, a little earlier than the date, the BCD, uh, BC, so it must have been before Christ. But anyway, Herod died then. That was the man that... But Herod was uh, a very great and formidable ruler. He was the sole ruler of the land of Israel. But he wanted to pass on his kingdom and divide it among his four sons. And Herod Antipas's son here... Uh, was to rule from 4 BC to 39 AD. 43 years he reigned, and he reigned in the region of uh, uh, Perea and in Galilee. And he was uh, sent to Rome. He was educated in Rome. He had many friends in Rome, and he was sent, first of all, to Rome by his father in order to, because the Ro Romans were the rulers, he, he, the Herod couldn't just pass the rulership over to him. He had to go to Rome in order to get uh, official recognition. But because he had been in Rome, knew all the Romans, 
the authorities, he was able to get that. And so throughout most of the uh, Gospels, throughout most of the New Testament, where you read about Herod, it is this man that we are talking about. Uh, And we think about him as a builder. He was a man who built many cities, uh, about four miles from Nazareth, where the Lord Jesus was, was born, was a city called Sepphoris, and that was built by Herod. Now, it doesn't appear in the New Testament uh, because uh, it's not mentioned. It's not one of the cities that the Lord was in. But you can imagine that uh, here was a city being built, and Joseph was a carpenter, and you can well imagine that uh, Joseph would have been involved in the building work there. And then another city that Herod the Antipas built was Tiberias. Sepphoris doesn't exist anymore, but Tiberias does. And uh, 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 later the Lake Galilee, the the Sea of Galilee, became known as the Sea of Tiberias after that. And it was named after Tiberius Caesar. And it is interesting that when uh, Herod was building that, that they actually were digging up and they dug up a graveyard. And uh, because that made it unclean for the Jews, no Jew would go and live there. So Herod uh, began to give incentives for people to live in the city. Um, He uh, uh, thought that he would uh, maybe give uh, free houses to the people, uh, but still nobody lived there. Um, he was going to let them live there tax-free. but Nobody would go there. And it's interesting that the Lord Jesus himself never entered into Tiberias in all of his ministry. And eventually, Herod, or, or Herod got uh, slaves and uh, uh, people like that, foreigners and others to go and live in Tiberias. But it was a place that people avoided in those days. But that's the Herod that we're talking about, Herod Antipas. But not only do I want us to think about his background, but I want us to think about his behavior. What kind of a man was he? Well, first of all, we think of him as an adulterer. He um, was married. He married the daughter of Aretas IV, who was the ruler of Nabataea, which was a a little kingdom on the east of uh, Israel. And he, uh, it was a marriage alliance, really, in order to strengthen the ties between the two areas. But in 29 AD, Herod Antipas made a trip to Rome to visit his brother, Herod Philip I. And on the trip there, he uh, became very interested in his brother's wife, <coughs> whose name was Herodias. And he wasn't just interested in her, but they entered into an affair. Now, Herodias was Herod Philip's niece, and so he was Herod Agrippa's niece. So um, the two of them decided that it wasn't just an affair they wanted, but they were going to marry. So she divorced from Herod Philip, and he went home and told his wife that he was going to... uh, take up and marry um, Herodias. And that caused all sorts of bother with the Nabataeans, who eventually uh, invaded the land. But here is an adulterous, incestuous 
relationship. And it was done openly. And you can see in the New, New Testament how that she was sitting on a throne. Here is the adultery, all of the things that are forbidden in the Old Testament. And we think of the adultery of this man. Not only is he an adulterer, he's a murderer. Because the uh, New Testament picks him up when uh, he had married Herodias and John the Baptist comes to speak against him. Uh, the fiery preacher of repentance comes to herald the coming of the Messiah and he tells Herod to his face what he has done, this adultery and all the rest. He condemns it and condemns it and Herod's not happy and Herodias is not happy. And they say that there's no wrath like a woman scorned. And she determines that she's going to do something about it. Now, Herod had John arrested and put in prison. But she's not happy with that. She wants him put to death. And so she gets her daughter, who wasn't the daughter of Herod, but her daughter by the other marriage. And she brings her in in order to seduce um, Herod by a dance. So here is this adulterer, and in order to get her own way, she brings in her own daughter to seduce her own husband. In order, this is the kind of family that this is that we're dealing with. This is the kind of character that we are dealing with here. And of course, she is able to seduce him to such an extent that he promises her to half of the kingdom. And she says, no, I don't want the kingdom. I want the head of John the Baptist. And of course, that's murder. Because that wasn't what he was accused of. Here he is, and so he is an adulterer, and he's a murderer. So we see Herod and his vice. But then I want you to see Herod and his valuable opportunity. Because Herod now is given the greatest opportunity that anybody could have in meeting the Lord Jesus Christ. Men and women, the most vital relationship that we have is how we relate to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to see how Herod reacted and related to the Lord Jesus Christ. Three occasions were told in the New Testament, the Gospels, that Herod met or had released or reacted to the Lord Jesus Christ. We read in Matthew 14 and Mark 6 and Luke 9 how that um, Herod heard about Christ. He heard about the miracles. He heard about what was happening. You, you, you're not surprised at that, that someone is going about doing miracles in the midst of the land. That's not done in a corner. The uh, authorities are going to hear about it. And so the word of God tells us that he heard about the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he heard about the Lord Jesus Christ, he thought that it was John the Baptist come back from the dead. Now there's guilt. There's conscience. That's conscience speaking to him. And because he heard about the miracles and the message of repentance, he's afraid. And he wants to see the Lord Jesus then with a view of killing him. And we read later on how that um, the, Phar or the Pharisees come 
to Jesus in Luke chapter 13 and verse 31. And they say, get thee out and depart hence, for Herod will kill thee. And that was his desire. Now we have the third occasion that the Lord Jesus comes into his presence. And you can see that he wants to kill the Lord Jesus. And the Lord says to him, go ye and tell that fox, behold, I cast out devils and I do cures today and tomorrow and the third day I shall be perfected. And he calls him that fox. And the word for fox is a she-fox. And really that's a reference to the fact that he was being dominated by Herodias. Uh, The epithet is a a she-fox. And really the Lord saying to Herod, it's the she-fox that is calling the tune here. And then we think about his delight. We have thought about the uh, desire of this man. Notice his delight. We are told that when the Lord Jesus comes into his presence, it says in verse 8, And when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceeding glad. He was exceeding glad. He wanted to see the Lord Jesus. It it says, For he was desirous to see him of a long season. There was no small delight in Herod. He was excited to see the Lord Jesus. He uh, wanted to see, and when the Lord came in, he had a pleasure about that. There was a smile on his face. There wasn't a scowl on his face when the Lord Jesus Christ came in. He came in, and there was joy on his face. Now, we think of the disciples in John 20 and verse 20. It says, Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. And the disciples were glad because they loved the Lord. But here is uh, Pilate or Herod, and he's glad because he just wants entertainment. All he wants is to be entertained. He wants to treat the Lord Jesus as something of a clown. That's what he wants. And his joy, perhaps, is to see the Lord Jesus in bonds. Because the men of this world want to see the Lord Jesus bound up and restricted and God's people and anything that is holy. They want it bound up and restricted and how they gleefully attack the devil and uh, they do attack the Bible in schools and the mention of God in the workplace. And they want the things of God bound up. And maybe that's what made Herod glad that the Lord Jesus was bound. But not only do we see his delight, but I want you to see his desire. His desire was to see the Lord Jesus. But look at verse 8. It says he was desirous to see him of a long season, because he had heard many things of him, and he hoped to have seen some miracle done by him. That's what I'm saying. He wanted to treat the Lord Jesus like a clown. He wanted to be entertained. He wanted to see some miracle. He wanted to treat the Lord Jesus like some kind of an entertainer or some kind of a magician who is going to do this work. Uh, He wanted uh, the Lord Jesus there out of his own pleasure, out of his own amusement. It was entertainment he wanted and not edification. 
Alexander McLaren, the commentator, said, when Christ stands before Herod, note that all its former convictions, partial or entire, and all its terrors, superficial or deep, have faded clean away from this frivolous soul. All he feels now is a childish delight in having this well-known man before him, and a hope that for his delectation, Jesus will work a miracle, much as he might expect a conjurer to do one of his tricks. And you think of the desire of the world for entertainment. The desire of the world, when it comes to Christ, is for entertainment, not for to be built up, not for to be uh, helped in any way, but just for entertainment. And you know, if we come to the Lord Jesus like that, the Lord will say, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. That's not what the true child of God wants. We want the edification of Christ. So we see Herod and his vice, and we see Herod and his valuable opportunity of meeting the Lord Jesus Christ. But then something else I want you to see, Herod and his violence, because we see that he's exceeding glad to see Christ, but he's not exceedingly interested. He's not exceedingly uh, desirous to treat the Lord Jesus Christ with honor. Look at the interrogation of Christ. Look at verse 9. Then he questioned him with, in many words, but he answered him, nothing. And here's Herod now. And the meaning of the fact that he questioned him with many words is that he kept on questioning him. And you'll see that the Lord Jesus answered him, nothing. The Lord says nothing to this. And this is frustrating Herod because Herod wants the Lord Jesus to entertain him. And he wants him to say something. He wants some, uh, some kind of help in order to be an entertainment and in order to um, make something of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord answers him, nothing. And that's in fulfillment of the Scriptures. Remember what it says in Isaiah 53 in verse 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb. So he openeth not his mouth. He was dumb before Pilate. He was dumb before the Sanhedrin, except that he was put under oath and had to speak. And now he is dumb before Pilate. And here is the one who says nothing in fulfillment of the word of God. And we think of how Herod here, the unrepented sinner, and the Lord's not going to speak to him. Why? Because the Bible says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And the Lord wasn't going to hear this man, no matter how much authority he had, no matter, matter how much clout he had, no matter how much um, ability he had to put the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. He's a man of iniquity, and the Lord's not going to hear him. And you can see how that if we do regard iniquity in our hearts, then the Lord will not 
hear us. And we think of this man, and he puts the Lord Jesus Christ to humiliation. Not only do we see him interrogating Christ, but we see him insulting Christ. Look at verse 11. It says, And Herod and with his men of war set him at naught, and mocked him and arrayed him in a gorgeous robe, and sent him again to Pilate. Now, Pilate, or Herod here, has already acquitted the Lord Jesus Christ. If you look there in verse 10, you will see that he has acquitted. Um, uh, it, it says that he answered him nothing, but if you, if you look at the uh, parallel accounts, you will see that the um, uh, Herod had already acquitted the Lord Jesus. But I want you to see that even though and we, we will show you in a minute that he's been acquitted. But even though the Lord had been acquitted, I want you to see that this man uh, sets the Lord Jesus at naught. Look at verse 11, and you'll see that he rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. The words set him at naught mean to count him as nothing, to treat him with contempt, as worth nothing. That's what it means. And a lot of folk today do the same, of course. They set the Lord Jesus, count him as nothing, nothing to them, no value in the Lord Jesus Christ. And my dear friend, if that's you looking on tonight, then uh, if the Lord Jesus Christ is valueless to you, then you're like Herod. Not only is he rejected, but he's ridiculed. It says they mocked him. And to mock and to scorn the Lord Jesus Christ here was their most earnest weapon. And we think of how they mocked the Lord Jesus Christ. This is ridicule. And of course, again, ridicule is the favorite sport of many when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. They want to plow the people of God and the things of God through the gutter. But you think of what it says in Philippians 2 verses 9 to 11. And at the end of the day, that the Lord Jesus Christ is a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. One day, everyone will confess him. But today, the world ridicules him. Not only did they reject him and ridicule him, but they robed him. It says in verse 11, they arrayed him in a gorgeous robe, some believe that it was a dazzling white robe that Herod would have given them. Uh, it would have brilliant colors, perhaps of purple or red. And they put that upon the Lord Jesus Christ in mockery. And the robing of Christ was, as, as it were, to make him into a sham king. And they engaged in ribald laughter, and they mocked him mercilessly. And my, they wanted to make nothing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is the Lord Jesus Christ nothing to you? We see here something of his violence. But one more thing, or just something else before we come to a clone, and that's the most important thing, his verdict. Herod and his verdict. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ was acquitted by Herod. You see it from Pilate's uh, viewpoint. Look at verse 
14. Herod says, You have brought this man unto me as one that perverteth the people. And behold, I have examined him before you and have found no fault in this man touching those things whereof you accuse him. Now you remember that Pilate had said that the Lord Jesus Christ was innocent. And Pilate sent him to Herod. And now Herod says that the Lord Jesus Christ is innocent. And you remember that in the Jewish law, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, a thing would be established. Now you you might wonder how it is that uh, the Lord Jesus Christ went to these two trials, three trials in an end, or you could count the other trial, the second trial, uh, with Pilate as another one. But anyway, you can see here that the Lord Jesus Christ is innocent. And the Lord puts the stamp upon that because two people, two Roman rulers, two Gentile rulers, have pronounced the Lord Jesus Christ innocent. It's established in the mouth of two witnesses. And so you can see that the Lord Jesus Christ in a double way has been proclaimed innocent. And yet the innocent Son of God still dies on the cross. He has been uh, pronounced guilty by a Jewish court because they perverted the law. They had an illegal trial. The Roman courts pronounce him innocent. And yet, in the plan and purpose of God, the innocent is still hung on the cross for us. And that's the message of the cross. But one more thing I want you to see, and that's Herod and his vanity. Because Herod put the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. He wanted to treat the Lord Jesus Christ as the court jester. He wanted to establish himself as the man who was in charge, the man who was the ruler. But we find that Herod Antipas, the Herod that is here, his own wife's brother turned on him and accused him of treason before Caligula, the emperor at that time. Now, it's said that the charges were false, but the charges were accepted. So now here he is, and he's an innocent man, it would seem. And he is brought in trial as an innocent man And he is found guilty by a Roman court. And he is exiled. And it's said by some that some historians said that Caligula had him killed. We don't know that for sure, but that's what some historians would say. But you think of the waste of this man. You you think of the irony of that. He condemned an innocent man. And then, in the end... Judgment is kind. The Bible says, Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And you can see that so many times in the Word of God. But what an awful waste. Here's a man who stood face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ. What a waste for Caiaphas, for Annas, for the Sanhedrin, 
for Pilate, for Herod. What a waste. What monumental tragedies. Face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ. And they never asked the right question. They never sought for the gift of forgiveness and for eternal life that was provided by the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the thieves on the cross was wise enough to say, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. But these men thought that their kingdom was the greatest thing that they had. And they lost it all. They lost it all. And my dear friend tonight, we realize that the greatest gift that we have at the end of the day is Jesus Christ and the eternal life that he bestows upon his people. May God write his word upon our hearts for his name's sake. Let's just unite together, please, at the throne of grace and prayer. Do remember the um, uh, meetings as they continue and pray for uh, the blessing of God as we come, that God will bring souls unto the sound of the word of God. Pray for your loved ones and your friends. Do remember our brother Ed Adams in the hospital. We pray for him and that God will uh, undertake for him, for Sister Margaret also in uh, the hospital, that God will help her and undertake for her at this time. For others of uh, those who are loved ones, uh, we pray for them that God will overrule. Remember the missions, special meetings that are going on as well, and bring them to the Lord at the throne of grace. So let's just unite together before the Lord. Our loving God and our gracious Father, we do thank thee for thy precious word tonight. Lord, we think of these things leading up to Calvary. Lord, we think of that judgment in kind that was wrought upon Herod. Lord, he condemned thee and ended up condemned. And Lord, we recognize how that thy word is always fulfilled. We'd ask that thou wouldst continue to bless us tonight, put thy hand upon us, and be with us. Remember the work and witness here. Continue to bless. Remember those who are in hospital. Remember these missions. Remember the going forth of thy word. And we'd ask thee in these days that thou wast add to the church such as should be saved. Bless us as we seek thee in the place of prayer now. Pour out that spirit of supplication upon us. For it's in Jesus' precious name that we'd ask these things. Amen.